we would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today. And we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today. There, uh, we got a few half of the month to go, and it just seems like we have been going full speed uh, through the month of May, all the activities that are going. Um, and they'll announce this again, but I want to remind all of you that are here, uh, our high school graduates, we will be celebrating you this, uh, this evening at 6.30. So be here and uh, be a part of the celebration. It, it is a party for you. So be a part of that, and we're going we're gonna to celebrate your accomplishments as your church family. I um, want to talk to you about It's Been a Bad Day. Uh, is the title of the message today. It's been a bad day. Uh, Acts 23 um, records probably one of the worst days in Paul's life. That begins in Acts 22 and leads into Acts 23. Acts 22, uh, Paul has been told, he's been warned from chapter 21 now into 22, if you go to Jerusalem, there's trouble waiting. If you go to Jerusalem, they're going to, they're going to attack you. If you go to Jerusalem, bad things are coming. But Paul felt this compulsion by the Spirit that he had to go, and so he did. Uh, even though the church warned him, even though people were like, you don't need to do it, he knew that he had to go. He knew that that was part of his destiny and part of what he was supposed to do was to go and to testify in Jerusalem. Now, it is my belief the reason that Paul had to do this is because Paul had so boldly fought against Christianity in Jerusalem. And I believe now he was coming back to face those who were uh, uh, those outside the church that were against him, but also people maybe within the congregation uh, of the believers who were still having some issues swallowing, hey, how could God save this guy that caused so much trouble? And, and I've shared with you, if you're here and you're saying, well, they should be loving and accepting. If you were Stephen's mom and dad, how would you feel about Paul coming in and, and, and speaking to you, knowing that he uh, was partially responsible for the death of this young man? And how, how would you feel if it had been your family he had uh, come and, and by chains taken them and, and, and brought them to persecution and put them in prison? And now he is uh, one of the 12. He is one of the apostles of Jesus. And now he has his life is coming full circle. We began in the book of Acts uh, uh, talking about Paul chapter 6 now it's coming full circle and Paul is returning to Jerusalem he's there and he has already encountered trouble in Acts 22 um, he has been already uh, ch chained and in prison by the Roman tribute and their soldiers because a riot broke out with just his presence being there I want you to think about that just because he was there because some of the Jews who who now were against him because remember he was one of them and now he's preaching to Jesus uh, they had they 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 had accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple, which was a absolute off limits. You didn't do that. It was a desecration of a holy place, and he didn't do that. But they accused him of that, and so he is being accused falsely. He is uh, dealing with a lot of things, and we pick up in chapter twenty three, and I want to read 
uh, verses 1 through 11, and that's where we're going to be anchored at today. But it says, in looking intently at the council, this is Paul uh, finally being brought out by the Roman tribute to because he wants to know what he's really accused of. Paul says, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all conscience up to this day. This sounds like a man who is prepared to die, does it not? This sounds like somebody saying, I got a clear conscience, so whatever comes out of this day, whether it's my life being lost, whether I continue to minister, I'm in good conscience with the Lord. I've prayed, I've made my peace with God. Now, I, have you ever dealt with someone who's at end stages of life? They know their life's about to be taken uh, from them. They're going to be, uh, you know, giving up this life and going on to the next. They, a lot of times they'll look at you and say, I've made my peace with God. What they're saying is, I'm in good conscience. I have, I have talked to the Lord, and whatever the outcome, whether the treatment works or not, I'm going on to be with the Lord. I am in good conscience. Whether, whether I live through it, whether I, I, I die, I know that my life is in the hands of the Lord. That's what this kind of is the context of that. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And then, and then Paul said, God is going to strike you, you, uh, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Now, Paul knew the law better than any of them, and, and though Ananias didn't say beat him, he motioned to them, he signaled to them, and they popped him in the mouth. This was to tell him to be silent. And Paul says that you've even violated the law of God in doing that. Those who stood by said, would you revile the God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, again, here's the law, you shall not speak, of, speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one, of the Sadducees, uh, one part of the Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. It is with respect to, to, to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. And immediately, the Bible says in verse 7, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and, and, and they were, uh, the, the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angels, nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge all of these. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes and the Pharisees' part, uh, party stood up and contently, uh, contended sharply. We find nothing wrong with this, in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when this, the, the, the dissension became violent, the tribute, uh, a tribune uh, uh, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces. Now, you, you read stuff and you get little, this was a violent thing going on. This was a very serious, you know, religion can become violent. It can, can be violent in, in, in many levels. And guess what? It can, can become violent within church walls. Um, some of us have seen that contentious spirit in our days where, where it's a violent spirit breaks out among people. So he was afraid that he would be torn apart, so he commanded that, um, that to be, for him to be taken by force, verse 10, and brought into the barracks. Then the Bible says in verse 11, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And I'm gonna, we're going to kind of anchor in verse 11 today, but I want to kind of uh, break down this a little bit. Now, uh, if you're wondering who the Sadducees and the Pharisees are, you got a corny joke coming up. The, the Sadducees were sad because they didn't believe in a resurrection, so they were Sadducees. 
That's how you remember about that. Uh, the Pharisees believed in a resurrection. They believed in, a, uh, they believed in, the, in, in the Spirit. They believed in angels. But the Sadducees believed there was no resurrection, there were no angels, and there was no Spirit. I don't know what they were following if they didn't believe there was a resurrection. Aren't you thankful we have a resurrection, amen, that there are better days coming? So Paul uses this, and he says to them that I'm a Pharisee. And, and, and so immediately the Pharisees say, hey, wait a minute, this is one of us. We can't let the Sadducees get the upper hand so it's not because they cared anything about Paul they literally cared only about themselves and so they begin to contend and fight with the Sadducees, which is what they did all the time. This is when Jesus had the most trouble with people. It was not the sinners. It was not even the Romans. It was the religious people of that day that gave Jesus more trouble than anybody. It was people that, that thought they were serving God, but yet they were misguided in their service. It was people who thought they understood what a relationship with God was, which was, let's check the boxes, let's live the list. That's how you please God. I'll perform for Him. If I dance the right dance, if I do the right thing, then I'm blessed. But if I step out of line, I'm cursed. Those were the people that gave the most trouble. And I'm going to tell you, they're still the people that give the most trouble in church today. Those who want a, because if you walk outside of that uh, little box, it disturbs them. I'm gonna, I want you to understand something. We want to package God. We want to make God convenient for us. We want to make God work for us. In other words, this is, I'm going to work out my salvation. I hear people tell me that all the time, but they forget the rest of that verse in fear and trembling. Don't box God up. When you box God up, you're limiting what God can do in your life. Not because he's not powerful to break through those limits, but he will not exceed your expectations unless you ex look I want God to blow my mind I don't know about you I'm a, I serve a God that doesn't live within the confines of what I think he can do because he can do far above the Paul would later write exceedingly above whatever you ask he can do in other words he will blow your mind if you get him out of the box but you see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they confined God to this nice little neat package of understanding, and it would never work. In other words, this had to be one of the darkest moments in Paul's life. Paul finally arrives in Jerusalem, and he gets to share with the people. But the issue of at hand is that Paul is, once again, finds himself in an uproar, just like he did when he went to, on his missionary journeys. Everywhere he went seemed to be trouble. This had to be a dark moment for him. He is taken out of this great violent riot. He's now in the hands of the Gentiles. His lifelong ambition was to preach the gospel to the Jews, and it always ended in utter chaos. He wanted so bad to correct his mistake of turning the people of, of uh, the Jewish people away from Christ. But yet every time he tried to correct that mistake, anybody follow that today? Anybody feel like every time I try to correct my mistake, I get in bigger trouble? Utter chaos would follow. He did not conceive his former cohorts to, be, to become believers. He could not convince them, and he hoped that he could. There was an, uh, uh, they were so incensed against Paul that 40 of them are taking an oath not to eat or drink until he is killed. I want you to think about that if you look further into the chapter. For the second time in, in as many days, the chief captain of the Roman guards has sent troops to rescue Paul. So instead of his own people, he has to be rescued from his own people by, because there's a mob that is 
trying to kill him. The future is uncertain at this point. Now, we want to make these men and women of the Bible supermen and superwomen. We want to act like they never went through anything. We want to act like they're, they didn't have some emotional problems at times. That they didn't get depressed. They didn't get down. They didn't, they didn't lose heart. But I'm convinced as we work through this passage of Scripture today, you're going to see that Paul had very much lost heart. It was his desire to see the Jewish people know God. So, so again, the, the future's uncertain at this point. He is spending his second night incarcerated in the Antonio Fortress. This was the uh, barracks uh, that Rome had set up in Jerusalem. What will happen next was anybody's guess. Paul had went to Jerusalem with high hopes, and now his hopes had been dashed and, and destroyed. He is in no doubt discouraged. He's no doubt depressed at this point a little bit. He's probably feeling like a failure. Even though he had won many to the Lord, seen uh, no doubt thousands of people by now had come to know Jesus as a result of Paul's ministry. What are you talking about? Because for every one that Paul won, they would go on to win another, and another would win another, and so on, and it had a ripple effect. So even though he could look back on that and maybe say, I succeeded, he felt like a failure because the people he loved the most, the ones, his own people. In other words, listen, I, I, I can relate to that in this way, that what good does it do for me to see thousands of people come to know Jesus, but to lose Peyton and Paige and, and, and Tina to, 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 to the world and see them turn their hearts over to the world? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Paul's saying, I've won everybody, but I can't win my own people. So no doubt he's feeling discouraged at this point. He's feeling a little bit probably like a failure. He's probably kicking himself for mentioning the fact that he, had, he, he was called to go to the Gentiles. For this had brought an end to his opportunity to witness. Because to go to a Gentile was to defile yourself. He probably felt that his ministry was washed up. You see, he's coming in on the tail end of things. He failed miserably in his greatest goal, which was to see fellow Jews acknowledge Jesus as their Savior. He had such an intense desire to see the Jews saved that if it could help, he would even be willing to, uh, willing to be accursed from God. That's in his own words. Number two, the words of Jesus to Paul. Acts 23 verse 11 holds a key to Paul, what Paul must have been facing. The following night, the Lord stood by him. The following night, the Lord stood by him. Do not miss the importance of that phrase. Everybody else had run. No one else was there. No one cared, it seemed. Some of us have been in that very position in life where we felt isolated and alone and like nobody ever cared. Paul knows exactly what you're feeling. But guess what? Just like the Lord stood by Paul in the dark of the night, he'll stand by you if you'll acknowledge and look. He's there. He's there. The Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the fact about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Take courage, or other translations says, be of good cheer. This alone shows us the mood Paul must have been in. You don't try to cheer somebody up. 
You don't tell somebody to take courage. You don't tell somebody to, 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 to be of good cheer unless they're not of good cheer. You don't tell somebody to take courage unless their courage has failed them. What the Lord was saying to Paul was, your work is not done. You've got much more I need you to accomplish before you come to see me and be with me in heaven. So take courage. Be of good cheer. This means Paul was indeed down in his spirit. Jesus often spoke words of encouragement to people saying, be of good courage or be of good cheer. He, to the sick man of palsy brought to him by his friends who had to remove the roof to let him uh, down in front of Jesus, his words were, take courage, be of good cheer, for your sins are forgiven. To the frightened disciples, he would come walking on the water saying, take courage, be of good cheer, it is I. To, Jesus would say to his disciples, in this world you will have tribulation, but take courage, for I have overcome the world. What are you saying? No matter where you're at today, whether you're up or whether you're down, I'm here to tell you today, God is saying, be of good courage, I'm with you. Be of good courage, you're not done yet. you got a lot of race left in front of you. For as you have testified to the fact about me in Jerusalem, so you will testify of me in Rome. Jesus acknowledges that Paul had testified of him in Jerusalem. In other words, Paul felt like a failure, but listen to what, what, how, the, how God looks at things. God does not look at things the way we do. As a matter of fact, God does not look at time the way we do. God does not look at situations the way we do. What we see as failure, God sees as opportunity. What we see as, Lord, that's a long time out, it's short to God. I was joking around with somebody to the, uh, and I, the, that loves math and physics, and I said, the Bible says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. Go do the math on that one. They did. And it works out to like, I think in one minute is eight months, and <laughs> eight, almost nine months for every one minute in heaven. If you go by that, think about that. God doesn't look at time the way you do. I just want to see this situation come to an end. I just want to see this trial go, go away. Lord, when do, you know, I don't see an end to it. And God says, the end is right there. The end is closer than you think. But it is the in-between that will determine what you are when you come to the end of this. You see, there's a lot of people who want to rush through to, to, the, to the next thing. They want to rush through. And God is saying, I am using these things to build my glory in your life, to build my glory so that when it's all said and done, nobody can take glory for what I have done but, but, but me. I'm the only one. Nobody can point to Paul at the end of this journey and say it was by Paul's hand. Nobody will be able to say, well, praise, glory to Paul. No, everyone will say, glory to God. Look at what God did in the life of him. That's what God wants to do in you. Take courage. Jesus acknowledges that he has testified. We might be prone to say, yes, but he was not very successful. I look at, you know, we, we look at things practical in the Bible. We look at, you know, every time he tried to win a Jew to the Lord, it did not work out very well. It caused a riot in the city. Everywhere he went, it stirred up trouble. It stirred up a crowd into a frenzy to the point they wanted to kill him and destroy him. We wouldn't look at that as a success. Think about that. 
Everywhere you, every time you, you, every time you mention Jesus, now think about how many times you mentioned Jesus this week. Hopefully you have. Hopefully you brought him up in some conversation this week. What if every time you did, somebody was ready to fight you? You're walking in Walmart, uh, you know, a shelf falls and it barely misses you, and you say, "Oh, thank you, Jesus." And somebody says, "What'd you say?" I was thinking, Jesus, because I'm going to knock your lights out. The response to Paul's testimony has nothing to do with the Lord's acknowledgement of his testimony. Some of us gauge success off the acknowledgement of what we're talking to people about. And that is not what God looks at as success. Sometimes we're discouraged because our testimony for Jesus only brings mocking or, dissen- or, dis- or dissension or, or, or ill will towards people or, or towards us. We feel like we have failed. Anybody ever witnessed to somebody about the Lord and you felt like a failure? I'm going to just tell you, one of the most fatal mistakes you'll make in ministry is to give up on somebody. Don't give up on people. You know, the only time I see people, it, it, it never runs well. Don't be a pilot. Don't wash your hands of it. Don't give up on somebody. We will be rewarded, listen to me, for our faithfulness to testify of him, not for how many responses we had. In other words, a lot of times we are geared to gauge our success in ministering for the Lord based upon the results. How many people are in attendance? Pastors are bad about that. How many people went to your church service? I'm in a pastor's discussion group, and I don't even tell them anymore. I don't even tell them. It's just like, boy, it must be real bad. No, it's actually really good. But guess what? That does not gauge success. We can pack this house, both services. We can build the new uh, ministry center that will seat many, many more than this. And we can pack it and then start a second, a third, and a fourth service. But that does not mean we're affecting this world for Jesus. That just means we got people coming. We want to affect people for Jesus. Jesus had multitudes come when it all boiled down to it. He had 11 at the end. But we gauge our success based on the response. They had responded to Paul's testimony negatively, yet the Lord acknowledged his witness in this verse. He says, you have testified of me in Jerusalem. I acknowledge what you did for me there. Paul had written to the Corinthians, your labor for the Lord is not in vain. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Whatever you're doing for God, you may feel like you're not being effective. You may be been witnessing to the same person over and over and over again. And you, the, the more you witness, the meaner they get. The more you love them, the more they push you away. I want you to understand something. If you're doing it for the Lord, it is not in vain. Be faithful because God is recognized your faithfulness in it be faithful in it we need to remember that we are not commissioned salesmen for Jesus we get paid for presenting the merchandise not for selling it amen 
In other words, when he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, he's not going to look at me and say, all right, Phil, you have five more that received Christ when you witnessed than those who rejected, so that's a win-win situation you get in. No, he's going to ask me, was I faithful in every situation that I had to present Jesus to a lost and dying world? Paul would later write, some water, some plant, but God gives the increase. I want you to understand something this morning. We've got to have the conversation. We've got to share our faith, and it's not always going to work out the way we want it to. Borrow Jim's phrase, I never want to present Jesus as the band-aid for somebody's situation. I don't want, I, I'm not offering you a quick fix to your life. What I am offering you is a relationship with your God who loves you and cares about you and will look and say, hey, it's about opening your mouth and having the conversation. One man may witness to a hundred people and they all receive Jesus. And another may witness to a hundred people and none of them receive Jesus. When they stand before the Lord, their reward will be the same. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Why? Because you witnessed of me. You spoke of me. He doesn't say how many you got in. He said you were faithful to represent me. Whether it was in your school, whether it was at your job, whether it was in your home, whether it was with your friends and wherever you were, whatever you were doing, you represented my kingdom and you were a witness of who I was and who I am. I'm only responsible to bring them to Jesus and to bring Jesus to them. What they do with it is totally up to them because it's free will. Number three, so you must testify also in Rome. In effect, Jesus is saying, Paul, though you feel like you're down, though you feel like you're on strike three, though you feel like it's all over, you think that tomorrow may behold your death, I want to assure you, you have witnessed of me, but you're not done yet. I still have one more place for you to witness, and that is found in the city of Rome, and you will testify before Caesar, who was the king of the world at that time. You will share, my, share your witness of me to this, to literally, the ultimate. How would you feel? You were an apostle and you chained up and you in a, 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 a federal prison cell and the Lord come by in the middle of the night and say, guess what? You're not done yet. You still got to go to the White House. You still got to go to Moscow. You still got to go to Beijing. You will be a witness of me to all those who lead the world. You will be a witness. And Paul, that's what was happening in this situation. Paul, you're not washed up. You're not dried up. You're not done with. I still have a work for you to do so be of good courage I'm not through with you yet church be of good courage God is not through with you yet He's not, it's not over yet oh my goodness somebody needs to hear that Jesus is confirming here that indeed Paul would begin carry his witness to the next level. He would carry his ministry on. For, for it would, and yet, it was more than two years before Paul would stand in Rome. Did you understand that? He would have two more years. But guess what would happen in those two years? In those two years, he would be imprisoned and he would write a quarter of the New Testament. He would write letters to all the churches that we're still enjoying today. Why? Because they were not his words. They were inspired and God breathed by the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying, Paul, you're not done yet, but I'm going to place you in a place where you feel like you're going to be useless. Don't you think the devil thought he'd won? 
I finally got Paul off the mission field. I've got him in prison. He can't do a thing. Isolated. Can't see the apostles. Can't go to the churches. Can't encourage them anymore. Don't you know Satan thought he had won? But there was one mistake Satan made. He allowed Paul pen and paper. And Paul said, I might not be able to go to them, but I can write to them. And he would write words of encouragement that are still being preached today and shared today. You may feel like the devil has isolated you and stopped you from being able to minister or to help people. I've got news for you. Start looking because God has created an opportunity. An opportunity for you to be a greater witness of him than you've ever been before. I remember back in my younger years when I was traveling. I was traveling the states. I was traveling the world. And I did not see a stop to that. Did not want to stop to that. And I can remember when the Lord called me into pastoral ministry. I felt like, what did I do to tick you off? What did I do to upset you, God? And God said, I'm positioning you to be a bigger witness than you've ever been in your life. You just don't see it right now. I don't believe Paul thought his letters would become part of the canonized New Testament one day, 300 years later. Do you? I don't think he was thinking at that time when he was writing those letters to Corinth. He was just writing to the people that he loved and he had ministered to, saying, take courage. Because I'm not done yet. God has told me I'm going to testify in Rome and that day will come. And until that day, I want to keep on encouraging people. Even though I'm in prison. Even though the enemy thinks he has taken me out because I'm no longer on the road. I'm going to keep on. I have found that when I've embraced where God had placed me, listen to me. I didn't embrace it right away. And I was miserable because of it. But when I embraced where God had placed me, God opened doors of opportunity like I've never had in my life. And you can ask me today, say, and, and look, I'm telling you, those who know me know this is a big thing. You can ask me where I would rather be. Would I rather be living? living in Athens, Greece, doing what I was doing there? Or would I rather be right here ministering in this local body and throughout this community and this state? I would look you in the eye and tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt the hand of God has placed me where he wants me and I will be nowhere else because I want to be in the will of God. How about you? Where has God positioned you in his kingdom? Where is he positioning you in life that you can be a greater impact for his kingdom? Because it's not about our name and our fame. It is about Jesus being glorified in every place that we are, wherever we are. If you're starting a new job, then guess what? God has divinely positioned you. Amen? Quit looking at it as, oh, this is a promotion or a demotion or whatever you're looking at. Or I'm just getting in a new place. Start looking at it as God has divinely positioned me to be salt and light in this world. God, I want to embrace where you've called me. And embrace your purpose. For our seniors, this is important. 
Be where God wants you to be. Everybody wants a career where they can get money, money, money. I didn't need nobody out there went, yes. Mm. I ain't hear nobody. Too early, huh? Would you rather have the money? Or would you rather live your life of purpose? And at the end of the journey, oh my goodness, hear Jesus say, well done. <laughs> well done. You may be in your dark night. Look around because of the Lord standing by you. He's ready for you to be what he wants you to be. You see, many times God is already speaking to us what he wants us to do. Paul had made mention several chapters back that he needed to go and be a witness in Rome. I think this was not a Freudian slip. I think this was the Holy Spirit speaking. And I think a lot of times the Holy Spirit speaks through our conversations and we don't realize it's the Holy Spirit. I don't, I'm not sure that's what happened here, but I think it might have. Paul mentions very vaguely that I want to go to Rome and minister in Rome. I want a witness of, of Jesus in Rome. And then he immediately gets obsessed with Jerusalem again. And he ends up not going to Rome, but going to, to, to Syria and, and going on a whole different direction than Rome. And I think there's a lot of times that we may be talking about things and we may vaguely mention, I will, you know, eh, I'd love to go do so-and-so, and then we get sidetracked. And I think it's the Holy Spirit. He's kind of given us a, <laughs> a, a, a warning of what's coming. He's saying, you know, hey, you were on the right track then, Paul. You, exactly what was going to happen, you, you were right then. That was my spirit speaking. You may not have felt like it was the spirit then, but I was speaking then. Two years later, you would begin to, to be obsessed with this to the point that you would, would go to Jerusalem. You would be taken by the Romans into custody, and later on, you would be imprisoned, and then later on, taken to Rome in order to be a witness before Caesar and all of the, the Senate. What are you saying? I'm telling you, God has a divine destiny and purpose for us, and you might be having one more bad day but the Lord's standing by you through that day and he's speaking to you take courage be of good cheer I'm with you and I'm going to tell you maybe we need to put it this way if God be for us who can be against us if God be for us his journey to Rome was under extreme dire circumstances. He was taken there as a prisoner. The captain on the ship upon which he was traveling made a very foolish mistake to try to set sail in a late fall and, and beat the winter storm. They were caught in the storm. The ship even goes under. We'll get into that a little bit later, but the ship goes down. Everybody's fearing for their lives, and what does Paul say? He's out there. I don't know if he's holding on to a plank. I don't know if he's, you know, I don't know, maybe it's Titanic. He found him a nice uh, wardrobe to climb on top of, but Paul says, be of good cheer. Why? Because God's told me not one life would be lost. Why? Because I have a destiny. Look, I'm going to tell you something today, and I want you to leave with this church understanding God has a plan. God has a destiny for each and every believer in Him, and I'm here to tell you destiny can be delayed, but it'll never be denied. What God has ordained will come to pass if you're faithful and you realize God is standing by you. God is standing by you.
If we are going to see success, we must embrace the destiny God has for us. And it is the enemy's job to darken our days. It is the enemy's job to contradict what God says. He's been doing it since the beginning, and he will keep doing it to the end. But I'm here to tell you, I want God's spirit to have my ear, not the enemy. Amen? Will you stand? The Lord stood by him, not to scold him, but to encourage him. Paul, what's wrong with you? Why wouldn't you have better sense to mention this gospel to the Gentiles? He didn't say that. He could have said, I told you to stick with the Gentiles, but you were determined to go to Jerusalem. <laughs> so often we fail because we expect Jesus to scold us instead of telling us, cheer up, I'm not done with you yet. I've found even in my moments of failure, when I thought I was getting ready to hear God really blast me for what I had done wrong, I heard just the opposite. See, my mind screamed failure. God's Spirit spoke, well done. My mind said, loser, you're washed up. God's Spirit said, not quite done with you yet. Paul would leave this encounter and his whole mindset would change from that point. From that point on. I just feel like somebody needs to hear this this morning. God's not through with you. I don't know who that's for. But God's not through with you. And for some of you, God's not, only, God's not even started with you yet. If you turn to Him, you'd begin to find a destiny you never dreamed you would have. I'm just going to open this up. No specifics today. Who needs to pray? Who needs to talk to God? If part of this message hits you today then you need to be down here doing some business with God. That's between you and Him. Do some business with God. Come on. There's some others. Come do some business with God. Talk to Him about it. God, you're not done with me yet. Come on. Come on, church. You're not through with me yet. It might be a dark day, but you're standing by me. Maybe some of us need to see He's still standing by us. He's still standing with us. There's some others. Come on, pray promise you won't regret it. Come talk to the Lord today. We would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc at gmail.com. If you'd like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. 
Children's worship is during our 11 a.m. service. If you would like to give to the ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.